Hello, and welcome to Mixed DNA Podcast, the podcast with two mixed race hosts talking about any and everything. Each week, we pick a topic, do some research, throw in our own thoughts and opinions, and put everything together to share with all of you. I'm Melissa. And I'm Vanessa. Today's episode, episode number 70, is Mixed DNA and Spike Lee. Spike Lee's work has continually explored race relations, issues within the Black community, the role of the media in contemporary life, urban crime, and poverty. He's controversial at times, and that's not always a bad thing. But one thing you can't deny is that he's definitely talented, and he and his works get people talking, and that's what we want to do today. We'll take a look at Spike Lee's early life and how he got started in his field, and we'll explore his movies and the themes they discuss, and we'll look at the controversies that have courted him throughout his career. Shelton Jackson Lee was born in Atlanta, Georgia, one of four children of Jacqueline Shelton, a teacher of arts and black literature, and William James Edward Lee III, a jazz musician and composer. His family moved to Brooklyn, New York when he was a child, and his mother nicknamed him Spike. He attended Morehouse College in Atlanta, where he made his first student film, titled Last Hustle in Brooklyn, and from there took film courses in Clark Atlanta University and graduated with a BA in Mass Communications. He did graduate work at New York University's Tisch School of the Arts, where he earned a Master of Fine Arts in Film and Television. He premiered his first independent short film in 1983. It was titled Joe's Bed-Stuy Barbershop, We Cut Heads. The film was the first student film to ever be showcased at the Lincoln Center's New Director's New Films Festival, and the film won a Student Academy Award. The film was set in a Bedford-Stuyvesant Brooklyn barbershop where customers come to hang out, discuss various issues, and get haircuts. The manager, Zach, took over the shop when Joe was killed by a gangster who used the shop as a front for a numbers racket. Zach wishes to keep the shop legitimate, but the gangster wants to continue the deal that he originally had with Joe. She's Gotta Have It was Lee's first feature film, which he started working on in 1985. The black and white film was about a young woman who is seeing or dating three different men and the feeling she has about her different situations. This film launched his career. He wrote, directed, produced, starred, and edited the entire film with a budget of only $175,000. The entire film was shot over the course of two weeks. When the film was released in 1986, it grossed over $7 million at the U.S. box office and was praised as ushering in the independent film movement for the 1980s. This was also a groundbreaking film for African-American filmmakers and a welcome change in the representation of blacks in American film, depicting men and women of color not as pimps and whores, but as intelligent, upscale urbanites. The film starred Tracy Camilla Johns as Nola Darling, a young, attractive graphic artist living in Brooklyn who has three suitors, the polite Jamie Overstreet, the self-obsessed model Greer Childs, and the immature bicycle messenger Mars Blackman. The three men are played by Tommy Redmond Hicks, John Canada Terrell, and Spike Lee himself, respectively. While each of the men wants Nola for themselves, she cherishes her personal freedom and refuses to commit. Nola idealizes the freedom to have multiple sex partners that men have typically enjoyed. The narrative provided by Nola's narration has been described as the most revolutionary element in the film a representation of the struggle African-American women faced at the time, and that many still continue to face to this day. The film was inspiring as well as unsettling, 
The frank exploration of Nola's romantic entanglements and polyamory with the rawness of Lee's portrayal of sexuality and characterization were both controversial and remarkable at the same time. The film, which was also a two-season Netflix series in 2019, is still both controversial and remarkable today, although for different reasons than it was in the 80s. The original film contains a rape scene that kind of shapes the ending of the whole movie, but the scene itself wasn't necessary to the story. In 2017, Lee was quoted as saying his one regret as a filmmaker was that rape scene. He said it was immature and it made light of rape. The scene was, of course, not included in the 2019 remake. This is a sign of how time and culture have changed. In a 2017 article for The Guardian, Essie Agudian writes that the most daring aspect of the film is not its portrayal of sexuality, but that simply it views black people as just people. The film never highlights their racial otherness, exploring instead the whole messy business of their experiences. Lee's approach to his characters still seems electrifying and gorgeous and heartbreaking. What Nola wants can be hers and should be hers. Her desire and autonomy matter. The film and the series still feel true today in its portrayal of her emotions. She rejects simple lust for more complicated feelings of desire. It is from this film that the film industry opens to the black experience. It is not only slavery and racism and economic disparity and an ongoing struggle. It is those things, but it's also sex and love, happiness and dreaming and joy. The film won the 1986 Award of the Youth at the 1986 Cannes Film Festival, the New Generation Award at the 1986 Los Angeles Film Critics Awards, and the Best First Feature Film at the 1987 Independent Spirit Awards. In 2019, the same year the Netflix series launched, the film was selected by the Library of Congress for preservation in the National Film Registry for being culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant. Both the movie and the TV series are currently available for viewing on Netflix. In 1989, Lee made what is perhaps his most seminal film, Do the Right Thing, which focused on a Brooklyn neighborhood's simmering racial tension on a hot summer day. The film's cast included many we're very familiar with today, including Danny Aiello, Ozzie Davis, Ruby Dee, Giancarlo Esposito, Rosie Perez, John Turturro, Martin Lawrence, and Samuel Jackson. The film garnered critical acclaim as one of the best of the year, with Siskel and Ebert ranking it the best film of 1989, and later, it would be on their list of top 10 films of the decade. Surprisingly, the film was not nominated for Best Picture or Best Director at the Academy Awards, but it did earn two other nominations that year, Best Supporting Actor for Danny Aiello and Best Original Screenplay, which was Spike Lee's first Oscar nomination ever. At the ceremony that year, Kim Basinger, who was presenting for Best Picture, stated, We've got five great films here, and they're great for one reason, because they tell the truth. But there was one film missing from this list because, ironically, it might tell the nuggets of truth of all, and that's Do the Right Thing. The film that did win the Best Picture that year was Driving Miss Daisy a film that focused on race relations between an elderly Jewish woman, played by Jessica Tandy, and her black driver, played by Morgan Freeman. In a 2006 interview with New York Magazine, Lee said that the other film's success, the other film being Driving Miss Daisy, was based on safe stereotypes, and hurt him more than if his film had not been nominated for an award. Lee got the idea for Do the Right Thing after watching the Alfred Hitchcock Presents episode Shopping for Death in which the main characters discuss their theory that hot weather increases violent tendencies. 
Inspiration also came to Lee by way of the 1986 Howard Beach racial incident in which Michael Griffith, a 23-year-old black man, was killed in a racially motivated attack, and the 1984 shooting of Eleanor Bumpers by the NYPD. Lee wrote the screenplay in two weeks. The story explores the racial tension between the African-American residents and the local Italian-American pizzeria owners in a Brooklyn neighborhood. The lead roles were played by Spike Lee as Mookie and Danny Aiello as Sal. After the film was released, there were many protests of its content, with columnists saying the film would incite black audiences to riot. Lee criticized reviewers for suggesting that black audiences were incapable of restraining themselves while watching a fictional motion picture. He called the remarks and comments outrageous and racist, saying that he didn't remember critics saying that people were going to come out of theaters and kill people after watching Arnold Schwarzenegger films. Lee has also said that it's only been white people who ask him if Mookie did the right thing, never a black person, who asks if Mookie throwing the can through the window inciting the riot that destroys the pizzeria. Lee believes that the key point is those that question the riot are explicitly failing to see the difference between property damage and the death of a black man, Radio Rahim. Controversial or not, there's no denying that this film is essential cinema and unfortunately, from the time it was made in the 80s to today, there isn't that much that has changed in race relations. IndieWire comments that Do the Right Thing served and still serves as a window into a country that has historically devalued the lives of African Americans. Public Enemies Fight the Power opens the film. While Rosie Perez dances, the mood is provocative. The film helped thrust Public Enemy into the mainstream, and the song became an anthem for marginalized black youth. Do the Right Thing doesn't provide answers to the problems it exposes, says writer Tambe Obinson for IndieWire. The film reflects back to its audience their own perspectives or prejudice and compliance. The film was made as a result of provocations, and so it in turn provokes. It reacts to white supremacy and paternalism with a justified rage, drawing attention to systematically racist institutions and the injustices that still exist today. In the film, when Radio Rahim is choked to death by police, and this film was made in 1989, from the Central Park Five to Rodney King to Eric Garner to George Floyd, the latter too similar to the death scene in the movie. This film is still so relevant in the era of Black Lives Matter. This is not only a tribute, but a testament to the resolve of the prejudice system that the film contends with. It's damning that so little seems to have changed in the decades that have passed. The film was nominated and won several awards for both front of and behind the camera, including Best Picture at the 1990 Chicago Film Critics Association and the Los Angeles Film Critics Association. Do the Right Thing is available for rent on Amazon Prime or on Paramount Plus for viewing. Lee's fifth feature-length film was 1991 romantic drama Jungle Fever, starring Wesley Snipes, Annabelle Sikora, Samuel L. Jackson, John Turturro, Halle Berry, Tim Robbins, Quinn Latifah, and Anthony Quinn. The film explores the beginning and end of an extramarital interracial relationship against the backdrop of the streets of New York City in the early 1990s. The film was dedicated to Yusuf Hawkins, who was killed on August 23, 1989, in Besno Nurst, New York, by Italian-Americans who said the teenager was involved with a white girl in the neighborhood, but was actually in the neighborhood to inquire about a used car. Jungle Fever has been thought of as one of Lee's most underrated films, one that got people talking. The reception to the film was mixed. People thought the picture was messy and Lee had trouble sticking to the subject. 
In actuality, theplaylist.net says, the film is a rich, multi-storied mosaic of New York life, that its messiness was by design because the theme of race relations in relationships can and is sometimes messy. Moving into the 90s, we have the release of Mo' Better Blues, starring Denzel Washington, who played fictional jazz trumpeter Bleak Gillum alongside Wesley Snipes and Spike Lee. The film follows Bleak's bad decisions that jeopardize both his relationships and playing career. Lee was accused of anti-Semitism by several film critics for this film. They characterize the characters of the club owners, Josh and Mo Flatbush, who in the film are described as Shylocks. Lee denied the claims, explaining that he wrote those characters in order to depict how black musical artists struggled against exploitation. Lee also said that the Jewish heads of MCA and Universal Studios, the men who produced the film, would not allow anti-Semitic films because Jews run Hollywood, and that's a fact. The ADL, the Anti-Defamation League, were disappointed that Spike Lee, whose success is largely due to his efforts to break down racial stereotypes and prejudice, employed the same tactics that he supposedly deplores. Mo Better Blues is available for rent on Amazon Prime or for viewing on Peacock TV. In 1992, Spike Lee and Denzel teamed up again for the biographical epic Malcolm X, based on his autobiography by Alex Haley in 1965. The film dramatizes key events in Malcolm X's life, including his criminal career, his incarceration, his ministry as a member of the Nation of Islam, his marriage to Betty X, his pilgrimage to Mecca, his reevaluation of his views concerning whites, and culminating with his assassination on February 21, 1965. The film received widespread critical acclaim, including Roger Ebert, ranking it as number one on his top 10 list of films for 1992. Denzel was nominated for Best Actor at the Academy Awards for his portrayal of Malcolm X, but lost out to Al Pacino for Scent of a Woman a decision which Lee criticized, saying he's sure that he's not the only one who thinks that Denzel was robbed. I do, because Al Pacino was terrible in that movie. Lee encountered difficulty in securing a sufficient budget for the film, needing a budget of over $30 million. But the studio disagreed and offered a lower amount. Lee contributed $2 million of his own money, and thanks to the financial intervention of prominent black Americans like Oprah, Michael Jordan, Magic Johnson, and Prince, the film was made. The action of such prominent African Americans giving funds to help ensure the project was finished, the way Lee had envisioned it. The film did a lot to keep true to its subject's view on race relations, but according to Screen Rant, Lee's version of events leaves out some key information. The film embraces X's views that black people needed to seize power and to take arms if necessary. The opening scene, with Denzel reading one of X's speech, while scenes of police brutality against Rodney King are shown, happened almost 30 years after X died. So why is it included? This was the kind of violence Malcolm X spoke out against, and by drawing out present-day events and linking them to the past, Lee demonstrates that the issues Malcolm X was trying to bring to light still existed at the time of the movie's release. The film created the character of Brother Barnes, who Denzel's Malcolm meets in prison and learned about Elijah Muhammad and the Nation of Islam from. However, in reality, Malcolm X learns about the NOI from letters he receives from his brother and sister. Lee's version ends with the death of X, and Lee's version adheres quite closely to FBI records. 
Although the convicted were Talmadge X. Hayer, Norman Butler, and Thomas Johnson, who was actually involved remains controversial to this day. The movie does not address the controversy at all. Washington won many awards for his role as Malcolm X that year, including a Golden Globe and an NAACP Image Award. Malcolm X is available for viewing on HBO Max and Crave in Canada. In 2018, Black Klansman, a true crime drama set in the 1970s, centered around the true story of a Black police officer, Ron Stallworth, infiltrating the Ku Klux Klan. The film received universal praise. Critics said things like, Black Klansman uses history to offer bitingly, trenchant commentary on current events, and brings out some of Lee's hardest-hitting work in decades. The film was even nominated for the Academy Award for Best Picture, Best Director, his first in the category, and for Best Adapted Screenplay, for which he won, his first ever competitive Academy Award. The film Green Book won that year, and when Lee was asked if he was offended, he replied, Let me give you a British answer. It's not my cup of tea. To another reporter, he said that anytime somebody is driving somebody else, he loses. And ain't that the truth? Many have commented that how this Oscars mirrored the 1989 Oscars with Do the Right Thing, missing out due to driving Miss Daisy. Green Book and Miss Daisy, two very safe race relation movies in comparison to Lee's films that dig deeper and hit closer to home for black and people of color audiences. Spike Lee is one of the most well-known and respected directors out there. So why did it take so many years for him to be nominated for Best Director and only win his first competitive Oscar so late in the game? When he did win, the New York Times reports, that he walked onto the stage bursting with energy and emotion and started his acceptance speech by ordering the Oscar producers not to turn the clock on. He used more choice language, of course. The speech that followed touched deeply on black history and extorted the crowd to get involved in the 2020 presidential election. His acceptance speech was as follows. The word today is irony. The date, the 24th. The month, February, which also happens to be the shortest month of the year, which also happens to be Black History Month. The year 2019, the year 1619, history, her story, 1619, 2019, 400 years. 400 years our ancestors were stolen from Mother Africa and brought to Jamestown, Virginia, enslaved. Our ancestors worked the land from can't see in the morning to can't see at night. My grandmother, who lived to be 100 years young, who was a Spelman College graduate, even though her mother was a slave. My grandmother, who saved 50 years of social security checks to put her first grandchild, she called me Spiky Poo. She put me through Morehouse College and NYU Grad Film School. NYU, before the world tonight, I give praise to our ancestors who have built this country into what it is today, along with the genocide of its native people. We all connect with our ancestors. We will have love and wisdom regained, and we will regain our humanity. It will be a powerful moment. The 2020 presidential election is around the corner. Let's all mobilize. Let's all be on the right side of history. Make the moral choice between love versus hate. Let's do the right thing. You know I had to get that in there. Earlier this month, Spike Lee accepted the Ian McClellan Hunter Award for Career Achievement at the WGA Awards in New York. Deadline reports that Lee offered a number of heartfelt comments about the craft of writing paying tribute to his late mother, NYU, and his wife. But after about a minute at the podium, he said, if you can make a living doing what you love, that's a W, not an L. And the sports metaphor prompted him to pull out his phone 
to check on how his New York Knicks were doing against longtime rival the Boston Celtics. He issued a Boston sucks, earning him a large ovation and eventually leaving the stage with this shit ain't easy. So let's hope that Knicks win in overtime. Thank you. Love him or hate him, you can't deny his talent. And it's even safe to say that he probably should have been much more recognized for his labors by the Academy by now. And he certainly does stand by his work, his choices, and the lack of accolades he received throughout his career. If you're looking for Spike Lee movies to watch to see what all the hype is about, The Manual recently published their list of the 10 best Spike Lee movies ranked, which we'll share with you. In the number 10 spot, Jungle Fever, which we've already covered today. And the number 9 spot, 2020's The Five Bloods, which tells the story of four black Vietnam vets who returned to the country decades later in search of treasure they buried there during the war. The film stars Delroy Lindo, Jonathan Majors, and Clark Peters, and the movie has been said to be one of the best action movies Lee has ever made. In the number eight spot, the manual lists the 2006 documentary When the Levees Broke, A Requiem in Four Acts, which is the story of Hurricane Katrina and its devastating aftermath. Said to be one of Lee's angriest films, the four-part series is so moving as it shows the resilience that has allowed New Orleans to rise from the ashes of that disaster to become the vital music-filled community that it was before the devastating hurricane. In the number seven spot is 2018's Black Klansman. And in the number six spot, they list 1998's He Got Game, starring Denzel Washington, Ray Allen, and Rosario Dawson. The manual says that this is one of the greatest basketball movies ever made and focuses on an imprisoned father who went to jail after accidentally murdering his wife during a violent domestic dispute. He is released from prison on the condition that he can convince his son, a top basketball prospect, to commit to the governor's alma mater. In the number five position is 2000's Bamboozled, which is a drama comedy starring Damon Wayan, Savion Glover, and Jada Pinkett Smith. The manual comments that this is one of the most controversial movies of Lee's career, and in 2000, that may have been a bit much for audiences, but today, it's something that is very front and center. The Minstrel Show, which the movie is about, is a modern televised show featuring black actors donning blackface to get ratings. In the fourth position, 2002's 25th Hour, starring Edward Norton, Philip Seymour Hoffman, and Barry Pepper. This film was made in response to the September 11th attacks and tells the story of a man who is about to spend an extended period in jail. The film takes place in the days after 9-11 with a small and intimate focus. It's not political, but more of a tribute to Lee's hometown. In the number three spot is Malcolm X. And in the number two spot is 2006 Inside Man, starring Denzel Washington, Clive Owen, and Jodie Foster. This movie is essentially a high story about bank robbers and the cops dealing with the heist. It's a very good movie, actually. And in the number one position, the manual, not surprisingly, lists Do the Right Thing, for which they say that few American films have more urgency and anger in them than this one, that feels woefully relevant even 30 years after its release. They even call it one of the best American films ever made. And there you have it, folks. Spike Lee, controversies, filmmaking, and race relations in a nutshell. Thanks for tuning in today. And if you like what you heard, please remember to like, follow, or subscribe to Mixed DNA Podcasts wherever you're listening from right now. And where applicable, please leave a five-star review 
Reviews and follows ensure reaching as large an audience as possible. Also remember to follow us on social media, Facebook and Instagram at MixedDNA Podcast, where each week we post relevant information about the content we focus on for each week's episode. Also, check us out online at www.mixedDNA.ca, where you can find all of our past episodes, the research that helped us with each of our episodes, and our Mix Monday features and information about Melissa and myself. Thanks for tuning in, and you'll hear from us again next week. Bye, everybody. Bye. Yeah.